Hey, let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get started. Father, um, I'm just so excited about this morning, and Lord, I'm even, I'm so excited about the decisions that happened last service, and Lord, even the decision, I, it just amazes me that, that, that on the online campus, God, we had a, a young girl give her life to you, Jesus, and Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for how you're moving in our midst, and so Lord, we pray for those of us who are in this room right now, but we also pray for those who are online watching, God, that you would move in their hearts, move in our midst, and God, help us come to a place where we really understand who you are at a deeper level and want to follow you. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, now, we're going to talk a little bit today uh, uh, about this parable that I really absolutely love, but I need your help in making it happen, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide this room in two, okay? And this perfect division right here, you're one side, you're the other side. And this is what you're going to be. You're going to be a part of this epic story that we're going to talk about. Uh, you're going to be a part of this. And this is what I need you to say. This is, this is going to be your mantra this morning. You're going to say it over and over again. It's this. Okay, are you ready? It says, we worked hard. Okay? So what I want to do is at the count of three, I want you guys over here to say as loud as you can, we worked hard. Are you ready for that? Okay. Yes, Bill. Okay, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. I don't know. Let's see. Let's try it again. Give us some like, 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 okay. Like you're at a football game. Okay. Does that help? Okay. Ready? Or, or, or at a concert. I don't know. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. That's good. That's good. Okay. Now you guys over here, um, yours is a little different. Okay. They worked hard, but yours is we hardly worked. You like that? So... So I want to hear some loud, and, and I don't know if you could do that loud, like we hardly work, just like we're lazy, but you got to make it loud anyway. Okay, ready on three. One, two, three. We hardly work. <laughs> Maybe let's switch sides. <laughs> you guys over here, you guys over Okay, do you guys want to counteract that a little bit? Okay, let's try this again. Okay, one, two, three. We work One, two, three. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. Let's pray and close. We're good. We're done. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. No, really. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20 and look at this with me. This is a parable of the laborers and it says this in Matthew chapter 20 verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Do you catch this? So whenever you hear the word, the kingdom of heaven, it's basically saying this in all contexts is saying, this is what God is like. This is what God's rule is like, or this is who God is. And so when you see that in scripture, so the parable we're about to read is a kind of a description about how God works or how God moves, how God interacts with his people. And so in 20 verse one it says, for the kingdom of heaven, it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers, laborers for his vineyard. So let's picture this story. Okay, it's, it's, how many of you got up at 6 a.m. this morning? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Okay, you're up at 6 a.m., right? The sun's just rising. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, picture uh, this parable going on, this parable happening. There's this little town, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. 6 a.m. comes. The men start waking up. It's time to go to work. They head down to the center of town. Uh, you know, the clouds are in the sky. It's crisp. It's cool out. The dew is starting to settle on the dust. And, uh, and they're ready for their work day. And in the midst of that, the landowner comes and he says, 
hey guys, I'm looking for some uh, people to work in my vineyards. I'll pay you a day's wage uh, to come and work in the vineyard, uh, my vineyard. Are you guys up for it? And they all say, well, yeah, that's why we're here in the center of town to get a job so we can work all day. So they take the job and the landowner sends them into, uh, into the vineyard to do their work. Okay. So they're working away in the cool of the day, you know, in the morning and working hard about 9 AM. Uh, the landowner comes back into town and he notices that uh, there are more guys standing in the center of town who, who aren't working. And he says, what are you guys doing here? And they said, no, no one hired us. And he said, okay, uh, I have a vineyard over here. I'd like to hire you for what you're worth. So if you would go to my vineyard, um, you know, you'll have a job for the day. And so this group goes and takes off and says, yeah, okay. Uh, so you have this group at 6 a.m. You have this group at 9 a.m. The wealthy landowner comes back. And he does the same thing at noon and he sends a bunch of people to his vineyard and he says, Hey, I'll, I'll pay you what you're worth. Just make sure you get your job done. He does the same thing at 3 PM. Now you'd think he'd just stay in town, but he keeps coming back and forth and sending people into his vineyard. And so you have all of these different groups of people, the 6 AM people, which are your guys. Now let's say it again. We worked hard. That a one, two, three. You're good, man. You got <laughs> okay, you guys are the 6 a.m. crowd. You're up early. You're working hard. Then we have the 9 a.m. group, right? They're a little bit later. We have the noon group. And then we have a 3 p.m. group. But then there's another group, which is the 5 p.m. group. You know what kind of people the 5 p.m. group is. Okay? That's these people right here. Can you say we hardly worked? <laughs> somebody never mind that was good so so we hardly worked we worked hard now the this group of people went in at five o'clock now here's what you have to know the the work day ended at 6 p.m okay so they worked for an hour you guys worked all day now listen to what the bible says this is kind of interesting now remember this is what god's like so when we look at uh look at chapter 20 verse 8 so he says this so when evening came 6 p.m it's talking about, so when 6 p.m. came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call all the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Okay? So he gets all the guys out and he says, okay, oh, okay, you guys who got here at 5 p.m., you know, and you didn't even break a sweat, you know? Uh, you know, you line up right here. You guys who got here at 3 p.m., you line up right here. You guys who got here at noon, you line up right here. You guys who got here, you know, at 9 a.m., you line up right here. And you 6 a.m.ers, you're all sweaty and hot and you just, you know, you're all disheveled everywhere. And, you know, you're here. Now, here's what happens. Listen to what it says. He goes this, um... In, in, in verse 9, he says this, And when those who came, uh, those came who were hired about the 11th hour, which is 5 p.m., listen to what happens, they each received a day's wage. Okay? So say, we hardly worked. One, two, three. We hardly worked. Wow, that's so good. But, but you received a full day's wage. Yeah. <laughs> now, what are you guys thinking? Now, what are you guys thinking? They worked an hour. <laughs> here's, the, here's the picture. Now, wouldn't you, if you were like me, you'd probably think this. I don't know about you, but I would think, oh, man, if they got paid a full day's wage for an hour, you know how much I get? I get 10 days. I get, I probably get 10 days. And so, you know, you're spending the money in your head. I'm going to buy a new video game, whatever. I don't, did I say video game? 
Um, you know, I'm going to buy all these things. And, and, you're, and you're already thinking, oh, wow, man, that landowner is so nice. I can't believe he gave those guys who worked an hour a full day's wage. He's going to give us at least 10, 9, maybe 8 days of wages just for working all day. Man, this is the best job I ever had. And then look at what it says. It says this in verse 10. It says, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received a day's wage. So say it. One, two, three. We worked hard. One, two, three. Yeah, <laughs> that was just really fast. Yeah, you worked so hard all day, but all you got was a day's wage. Say, aw. Oh, and say, yeah, <laughs> I like this. I'm just going to preach like this. You tell them uh, now, now listen, what was that? Ushers, ushers, somebody over there needs help. Um, listen to this. So, so when the first came, they, they supposed that they were going to receive a full day's wage, but they didn't. And listen to what it says. Um, so when they received in verse 11, so when, so when they received, uh, their day's wage, they complained against the landowner. So they were, they were complaining, right? They said that that's just not fair. Like, why would you do this to us? We work so hard and you guys on your hand are probably sitting there going, (coughs) you know, listen, as it goes on, he says this, he says, and you, um, he says, these last men speaking of these, these guys, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Oh, you know, so, so the whole picture here is this group is whining, complaining because they worked all day. They worked so hard and they only got a day's wage. And these people, they worked an hour and they got a day's wage and that's not fair. But listen to what the landowner says. And this is what God is like. Verse 13. But he answered one of them, speaking of the landowner, and and said, friend, am I doing you no wrong? Am I doing you no wrong? And then he goes on to say this. uh, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a day's wage? Did you not agree to work for me for a day's wage? You know, remember 6 a.m., you woke up, we were here, we agreed on this, you went out and worked in the field, you did it. And then he says this, is it not lawful to me for me to do what I wish with my own things? Whoa. See, it's my money. I own it. If I want to give them a gift, is it not lawful for me to do that? Of course, the answer is yes. And so you have this picture of God and he says, can I do, can I give a gift with what I want? Can I do, is it mine to give is really what he's saying. Now listen to this. And this is where it really hits me. And this is where it's impacted me so hard. And this is where I've needed to learn how to really walk as Jesus has called me to walk. Because sometimes I don't. He says this in, in the middle of that verse. He says, or is your eye evil because I am good? Now, do you catch what he's saying? It, this, this is a Hebrew idiom. An idiom is like, a, a, like if I say kick the bucket, you know, that can mean two things. Number one, I kicked a bucket. <laughs> and number two, I'm dead. Okay? An idiom would be, I'm dead. I kicked the bucket. When, when we hear this evil eye, is your eye evil? It means, are you selfish at the core? Is your eye evil? Do you have this evil eye within you, this thing within you where you have this selfishness? And so... God's basically saying, are you angry? Are you jealous? Are you envious? Because I'm generous to someone else. 
Whoa. So when somebody else gets blessed and you don't, do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? Do you, are you in this place where you're like, gosh, this has amazing implications on our life. Because if we're always living in this place where we're frustrated because we don't look at what God has blessed us with, and we're always looking at somebody else, right? What happens? We live an ungrateful life and we don't live the life that God has called us to live. And so he's calling us and he's saying, look, how can you be in a place, live in a place where you can be grateful for those things that are around you? That's what he's saying. The New Living Translation says it like this. I love it. It says, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Uh, The New International Version says this. Are you envious because I am generous? The message says this. Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? The God's Word Translation says this. Do you resent my generosity towards others? Or do you have the evil eye? How many of you watch Lord of the Rings? And you know what happens? That movie, I, it's just weird. But I know there's some real Lord of the Rings fans. I call them freaks, but fans, whatever. Because they're really into that stuff. They have swords and long hair and pointy ears. But, I'm sorry, I have a friend of mine in mind. Um, but what happened when they would get a hold of the ring, right? Right? Everybody would be fine. They'd be talking, da-da-da. And they'd get a hold of the ring. And all of a sudden, they'd be like, yeah. The ring, the ring, you know, and then they'd hunch over and do this. And, and it'd be this creepy evil eye thing and their eyes would change. And that's how I picture this is when, is when, even though God's been good to us, we look and somebody gets blessed and we're like, why did they get blessed? Oh, you know, that's wrong. And, and why is Bill doing that? He's creepy. Um, <laughs> let me, let me illustrate it like this. Let's, let's pretend I'm going to have you guys over for dinner. Um, not all of you, but we decide, Hey, we're going to everyone at Crossroads Ram because Michelle and I, we love having people over for dinner and let's say, Hey, we're going to have you guys over for dinner. Um, and really I calculated this. I said, how, how could we have everyone over for dinner? Then I realized if we have one couple or one person, whatever over for dinner every single night from Crossroads, it would take us 10 years to get everybody. So that's not going to happen. Um, so we're not going to go out to dinner or we're not going to have dinner, but maybe as a big group, I don't know. Anyway, if you come over to my house for dinner and, and let's say, you know, what we're waiting for is dessert because dinner's good. My, my wife's an amazing cook. Actually, the cooking is way better than dessert. She's over there. Um, and, and, and we have dessert. I go and I, and I open the freezer, right? And you see the light shining from the freezer because in the freezer is the double chocolate malted crunch from Rite Aid. Do you guys like this ice cream? This is my favorite ice cream in the world. And you pull that out and it's like the glow. It just like glows because it's from heaven. And, and, uh, and I bring my three kids out, right? I got my, 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 my two daughters, Mackenzie and Madison and my son, Cooper and the moonwalking guy. Um, and, and they're lined up and I put bowls out in front of them and I say, okay guys, we're going to have some ice cream. And they're like, yeah, dad's the best ice cream, you know? And so I, I start dishing it out, boom, you know, slapping down some, you know, some, some ice cream. And, uh, I, and I give my daughter Madison three scoops. I give Mackenzie three scoops and I give Cooper two scoops. Well, what's going to happen? What? <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a fight, right? There's going to be a fight. My son is probably going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? They got three scoops. I got two scoops. 
right? And it's World War III, and there's a battle going on, and a battle of brewing. It's like, do you love him? Do you love them more than you love me? And I'm like, no, I just happen to, ah. Here's a, here's a, now picture if I just had one child, and I set a bowl in front of him and gave him two scoops. How would they react? Grateful. Thankful, right? Do you see the difference? It was only when began to compare what other people had, right? Did the frustration, did the anger, did they feel sometimes like I got ripped off? It's not fair. Only when I began or when they began to look in other people's bowls. Do you see the picture? They lived uh, in an apartment, but they finally got to buy a house. It was a thousand square feet and it was a little run down, but man, they were excited, them and their three kids. And uh, when they moved into their house, it, you know, the carpet was, was mangled, but man, it was from God and they were so grateful. The kitchen needed a definite remodel. Half of the cupboards were hanging off and, you know, the people that had left the house before destroyed it a little bit. And so they spent their first couple months just fixing up the house, trying to make it look halfway decent. You know, the, the, the grass outside was brown and dying. And, you know, but they knew that this was from God and it was way better than apartment, man. And they loved their house and, and they love what God provided for them. And, you know, they tithed regularly. And, and so they know that this was a true gift from God and God was doing amazing things. Then they got a phone call from a friend and they found out, hey, you moved into our, the same town that we live in. We're so glad you're here. Why don't you guys come over for dinner? We'd love for you and your family to come over. And they thought, wow, this is great. We just moved in kind of to the neighborhood. They live on the other side of town, but they're here. We'll go see them. I haven't seen this guy since school. And so the husband and wife, they get in their broken down minivan, you know, that leaks oil everywhere. And, and they start heading over and they start talking. Yeah, man, I can't wait. You know, we graduated school together and we, you know, we, we got the same education and the same kind of job. I wonder how they're doing. And then they pull up, and they pull up to the, the better side of town. And there's these gates to their community. And, and they call in, and they say, hey, we're here, can you let us in? And boom, the gates open, they're like, wow, this is so nice. And there's manicured lawns, and the streets are beautiful, and there's street lights everywhere. And they're like, wow, this is a far cry from where we live. And then they pull up around the corner, and they say, could that be it? And there's this huge house, you know, this, this kind of Italian uh, style with bricks and, and this beautiful roof. And up on a huge cobblestone driveway, they didn't want to drive their minivan because they didn't want it to leak oil all over their beautiful driveway because their driveway was almost nicer than their house. And they just looked at each other and they said, wow. And they looked over and on the side of the house was this huge RV, you know, not just the, the little kind, but the bus kind, the real diesel pusher, real nice RVs. And they looked in the garage and in the garage, they noticed, wow, is that, a, is that one of those boats? Oh my gosh. And, and a couple of jet skis. And they just couldn't believe it. And they get out of their car and they get their kids out of their car and they go up to the big double doors, you know, huge oak doors and they knock and it's like, dong, dong. And the butler, no, I'm just kidding. And, and they open the door and oh, it's so good to see you. And immediately they looked and their eyes were drawn into the great room. And there was this huge crate room with a huge flat screen TV and they could see in the backyard this huge swimming pool and the kids playing out in the swimming pool with the slide and all these rocks. And there was this, you know, jungle gym for their kids. And so their kids went running and like, this place is the best. And, uh, and took off and they walked in and they looked and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And so they had dinner and they talked and they caught up and then the husband and wife got in their old minivan that was leaking oil and they drove back to their dead grass thousand square foot home and they sat down on their dingy old couch and they just looked at each other. 
And they looked around the room and they immediately felt, and though they didn't want to, that God had somehow ripped them off. That God had somehow not given them what they thought they deserved. Now here's the thing, even though they knew before they went to visit their friend that God had blessed them, it's when they began to compare themselves with their other friends did they not feel God's blessing anymore? Does this make sense to you? And so the problem was when they took their eyes off of what God had given them. It's when your blessings become your curse. It's when the very things that God has given you become a curse to you. And so Jesus calls out and he says, are you, are you jealous because I'm generous to others? Are you jealous because other people receive things that you don't? Are you jealous because of these things. See, in the Bible, it describes over and over what kind of people we're to be. And one of the main descriptions for Christians is this. Ready? Servants. You know what a servant is? A servant means you own nothing. That you are there for the master. And being a follower of Christ means I surrender all that I have, all that I am, all of my gifts, all of my talents, all of, all of my spiritual gifts, all of my physical things that I own for the master's use. Now God allows me to watch over those things and God will hold me responsible to how I use them in my life. Not just my physical things, but my spiritual gifts, not just my spiritual gifts, but my talents. Do you catch this? And so there's this whole picture that all of this stuff belongs to God. We own nothing and it all belongs to the master as he wants us to use it and how he sees fit. Now catch this with me. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to take a little journey here. Over to the front of your Bible. Leviticus 25. So here, we're, God's talking about a, a nation called Israel. And he's promised them something huge. And he's promised them a new land. But he wants to remind them something. And listen to what he says. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, he says this. He says, the land you're about to get, okay, this land I'm going to give you is this. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is, what does your Bible say? Say it loud, please. For the land, <laughs> mine. The land is mine, okay? So he says this, I'm going to take you to a place where I'm going to give you something incredible, but I want you to remember this. In the midst of it, it's mine. I'm going to give you this, but it's mine. Okay, now why is this important? Why is this important? Because we have to have this mindset when we understand where we're, how we live. That everything we have is God's, right? So, so he says this, I'm going to give you this land, but don't sell it permanently for it is mine. Um, and, and, and then it says this, and for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Like you're strangers to this world, but I own it, just so you know. God owns everything. You know what, your mortgage right now? Bank doesn't own it. The land you're on, bank doesn't own it. God owns it. So next time, no, I'm just kidding. So next time you pay your bill, just say, hey, God owns it. I don't pay. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> but do you see the picture? Everything we have, everything we are, God owns it. Now turn over to Deuteronomy chapter six and look at this with me. Deuteronomy chapter six. So then he says this. He's going a little deeper. And... Uh, and he says this, he says, so it shall be in verse 10, 
Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so now he's saying, okay, when you guys get there, when you guys get to this land that we've been talking about, the land promised from your fathers, uh, your forefathers. And then he says this. Uh, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all the good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full. Okay? So he goes and he says all these things. He says, man, you're going to get all this awesome stuff. And you're going to be full and you're going you're, you're to have all these gifts that I'm giving you. But, but remember, they're mine, and I gave them to you. And then he says this, and when you're eaten and you're full, verse 12, then beware. Beware, beware. That's, a, that's from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Um, be, uh, it's ADD thought. Then beware. Then he says this, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Do you, do you catch this? I'm giving you all this stuff, but see, and back then they struggled with this. They struggled with their stuff. You know, they struggled with not being able to focus when they had all these distractions in their life. I mean, now we live in such a different society and world. We don't, we don't deal with those like they do there, right? No. <laughs> we deal with the same distractions, don't we? Our stuff gets in the way. Our talents get in the way. Our gifts get in the way. Our careers get in the way of what God desires for us. And so don't, re- don't forget this. All these things I'm giving you, don't forget why I'm giving them to you. And beware that you don't forget. Now, scoot over to Deuteronomy, just a ch- couple of chapters over to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14. He says this. So he says, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark. Okay, we're still talking about property here. Why is this so important? He says, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark. Back then, what would happen is, nowadays we have property lines or mostly fences. Back then, they used to have these things called boundary stones. And those boundary stones were set in place in days of old, and they separated properties from each other. So as the children of Israel were coming into the land to to get their property, they were set aside different areas. So this was your boundary. This was my boundary. These boundary stones would separate the land that God had given you, that, that, that you were to possess, Now, what they found out is people would go in and they'd begin to move the boundary stones, right? So they'd come in and Bob's over here and Bob's like, oh, wow, that's the boundary stone. You know, Chuck's not, Chuck's not in town yet. I'm going to lift up my boundary stone and walk it 50 yards into his, right? And so what happens? If I'm walking 50 yards into his, I'm stealing his property, okay? So listen to what this says. It says, so you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. And then it says this, in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So you have this whole picture. God gives you everything. And then he sets boundaries on what he gives you. And he says, don't move the boundaries. Don't move the boundaries. Nowadays, we could look at it this way. It's almost like, looking over the wall at what somebody else has. Because we look over the fence at our neighbor's house and we see what they have and we desire it and want it. You know, I, oh man, I want his car. Man, I want, I want her job. Or man, I want their kids because mine are nuts. <laughs> you know, I want his hair because I don't have any. You know, I want her body. 
Not me, because, but like girls, you deal with that stuff, right? <laughs> I don't deal with that, but I'm just trying to use an illustration. You know, I, but, but do you see the picture? I want her personality. I want, I want their car. I want, I want that house. I want, I want this. I want, I want that job. Why can't I have their vacations? Why can't I be like, what? And, and then here's, here's the picture. Here's the, the new picture for, for our world today is we constantly are looking over the fence. We're looking at our neighbors. We're looking at other people and we're missing the blessing that we're sitting in. And we're missing the family that we have around us. We're missing the church we're a part of. We're missing all of those things. Because when I look at my neighbor's life, or when I look at somebody else's life, I turn my back on God and what he's given me, don't I? And if I move the boundaries, then I'm attaining something that God didn't want me to attain. And this could we could go deep into this in finances. If God didn't give you the resources to get it, and we move the boundaries to, a, to, to get it, we're getting it beyond God's will for us to have it. Does that make sense? And we try to attain things, and when we do that, then we turn our back on the very giver who has blessed us. And there's these blessings he has, and these blessings mean nothing to us. And they become our curse. And they destroy us from the inside out. See, I have to turn my back on what I've been given to pursue what I haven't been given. Now, please know this doesn't mean we don't pursue things. We don't pursue education. I mean, we pursue education. We pursue being better. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we're looking and we're coveting and we're going outside those places. He noticed that marriage counseling was helping a little bit, but, you know, his wife just wasn't communicating with him the way he wanted. And so, you know, he began kind of looking in other places. And he realized his best friend's wife, man, paid great attention to him. And he liked the way she talked to him. And he liked the way she reacted when he told a joke. And you know, things were different. Maybe, maybe he should have married her. Maybe he married the wrong person. You see what happens when you begin to look over the fence You see how the thinking begins to take place when we begin to look at what other people have and begin to start changing and saying, gosh, why did I do that? Or what is this about? They made all the right choices in retirement. I mean, they gave to God and, 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 and and they gave to the church and they, and they, and they did the right things and they put their money away. But when the economy went South, oh my goodness, they lost almost everything, but their friends, all their friends, you know what? They're traveling the world. They're having fun on retirement and it looks like they're going to have to go back to work. And they somehow feel that God maybe had ripped them off. That it's not fair because they had given, they had done everything right. And yet here they are looking over the fence at other people's lives. She uh, waited so long, waited so long for the right guy to come along, the right Christian guy, because she knew the verse, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so she waited and prayed and prayed and asked God, please send me the right guy. I just, I I really, I, I just, I'm so alone. And all of her friends were starting to get married, but there was no guy on the horizon. But she saw her friends getting married and said, I gotta find someone. And so she took the first thing that came her way. Hey, he wasn't a Christian, but he he's a nice guy. And he married her and she married him and they got together and now they don't go to church. She doesn't even follow Jesus. And she wonders, wow, God ripped me off. This isn't fair. 
Why did this happen? Why did this happen? You see, most sin can be traced back to the fact where we believe that God hasn't been good to us. Do you realize that? Where we believe at the core that maybe God ripped us off or maybe, maybe he didn't give us everything we deserved. We call this entitlement. And we feel like we're entitled to something better. Why? Because, well, we've been, we've been honest, we've been good, we've, we've made all the right choices, and so God owes me. And I deserve this. And look at what they have. And we look over the fence and we compare and we compare and we contrast. And we forget the blessing that's surrounding us all the time. See, a heart, a heart that believes it has been ripped off by God can justify any sin. This scares me. A heart that believes it was ripped off by God can justify any sin. Let me explain. I used to work at this grocery store called uh, Alpha Beta. Remember that? Yeah. I used to wear a brown smock. It was actually quite handsome. Um, and uh, <laughs> when I worked at Alpha Beta, I decided this was in high school back in 84. I said, God, I, I just want to be the best box boy ever. Like, I'm going to be the guy. I want to be that guy. You know, they were just, wow, that's the best box boy ever. So I got in there and I worked so hard. And, you know, when there was a cleanup, I was the first guy to clean up. And, uh, and I worked hard. Why? Because I wanted, to, I wanted to be a checker so bad. You know, those people that check out the ding, ding, ding. Oh, they didn't have scanners back then. It was like a tick, tick. Anyway, I wanted to be the checker so bad. And so I had this friend of mine who worked in the produce department. And in the produce department, he made like 17 bucks an hour at like 17. And, I, and back in the 80s, that was like he was rich. And he'd drive his new car to, to school all the time. And I'd be like riding my bike like, I hate you, you know. And he just, let, but the guy was lazy. I mean, I even tell him now, he's lazy. I still know the guy. He's just so, just this lazy guy. And so he'd go to work and he'd just, you know, talk all the time. And I'd be there working and sweating, making six bucks an hour, just trying to make it. And so finally I got so frustrated. I'm like, ah, I deserve this. I'm working hard. So I went to my manager. I said, Man- manager, I didn't say manager. I said his name, Al. And I said, Al, uh, I want to be a checker. And he said, okay, here's the test. You know, you've done a great job. You know, we have some, one of our checkers retiring and you could take his position. And I said, awesome. So I started studying because you had to study all the produce codes. And I, you know, went through and I'm studying all these different, you know, fruits and veggies. And it was weird. And anyway, uh, about two weeks into it, this guy, other, other guy gets hired and he walks in and, and he's like the best box boy. He's like better than I am. And I'm like, whoa. And two weeks into it, I find out like he's best friends with the assistant manager. And about three weeks into it, I find out that he gets promoted to checker. And so the next week I walk in, he's out there checking like, Hey Bill, how you doing? And I'm like, I hate you. That's my job. And I looked at my boss and I looked at my assistant boss and I, and I'm like, this isn't fair. What's going on? And I got so frustrated. And they said, well, go out in the back and, and pull in the load because the grocery load was there. And I'm like, fine, I'm going to be the best box boy still. So I go out there and I pull in and I'm like, you know what? This company owes me. Alpha beta owes me because I worked hard. And so as we were pulling in the load, the driver left and I, and I'm in the back on the dock and I grab a case of tuna. I'm like, this is my tuna. And I grab the tuna and I put it on the dock and I cover it up and I shut the doors. And after work, I go back and I grab this case of tuna. I'm like, this, they owe me this tuna. I don't even like tuna. I hate tuna. It's disgusting. But I'm like, what am I going to do with this tuna? You know, but it's mine and and it means a lot. And so I put it in the back of my car and I end up giving it away. But here's the thing. I didn't feel guilty at all. 
I didn't feel any bit of guilt. I justified my sin. I mean, they could have thrown me in jail. In fact, I don't know if they'll catch me now, throw me in jail. <laughs> the alpha beta police. Um, I did go back years later, just so you know, and I paid back the manager. I said, hey, I stole a case of tuna. And he's like, what? Who are you? And I said, here's money. And he's like, you're weird, you know? <laughs> but, but, but do you see the picture? When, when, you, when you feel like you've been ripped off, when you feel like you deserve something more, you can't worship God. You can't live your life following him in the right way. And so inwardly, if you suspect that God has ripped you off, you're not able to worship him. You can't trust him. Why? Because you're at this place where you can't even be grateful for what you have. And so we have to find, we have to come to the place where we're saying, okay, God, this is who I am. This is what you've given me. And in that, I have been called to change the world for you. And I need to live in those boundaries and thank God and praise God when somebody over the fence, something incredible happens for them. And to look at them and say, man, you all, isn't God awesome that he gave you that? You only had to work an hour and you got a full day's wage. I had to work all day. Because you know what? We don't like doing that. Because it's not fair. And the sad thing is, is God's not, he doesn't care to even it out. For whatever reason he has, he's our God and we're the servants. And so he's saying this, have I really ripped you off? Have I really ripped you off? Have I really taken from, I mean, really? Do you really think that God wants you to be miserable? Do you think he's up there going, oh, I just, I want to make them miserable. Like that's, that's my whole goal is I created them so that they would be miserable. No, it's actually just the opposite. I created them so that they could have life, life abundantly, huge, incredible life, bubbling over in joy and excitement. But here's the problem. We try and do it our way, right? And our way gets us in trouble all the time. I know our way, my way gets me in trouble. When I make a dumb choice, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. And God's like, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. So here's the consequences. I will forgive you, but here's some consequences for you. You got to live through it and you got to trust me because I'll get you through it. It's not going to be easy, but you know what, Bill? It'll be good because we're going to grow closer through it. It's like, oh God, I don't want to go through that. Do you catch that picture? And so for God to be God, he has to be the source of everything that is best for us. Wow. Let me say that again. For God to be God, he has to be the source of everything that is best for us. So whatever you're searching for this morning in your life, if it's not him, it's going to leave you empty handed. It's going to leave you wanting. It's going to leave you looking over the fence at your neighbors, looking over here, looking over there, looking everywhere else. And God says, no, you need to look up and look at me and trust me. That's how we're going to get through this. And so it's time for me to stop looking over the fence. It's time for me to stop looking in other people's bowls. Now here's the good thing. There's hope. There's incredible hope in Christ, isn't there? That God has given us and he's promised us. And he said this, he says, you know what? If you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Like, that's it. I, I will give you eternal life. Like, you can have a relationship with God. And so all the things you're searching for and you think are out here and out here and out here, they're right here. And he's calling you. 
And maybe even this morning, you know, you're like, how did I even end up here? Maybe someone called you and you showed up, or maybe there was this crazy, you know, you know, five different things happened in order for you to be here. That's not coincidence. That's called God. And he does this all the time. And he's calling you to have a relationship with him so that you could live life and life abundantly so that you can know him so that you can commune with him on a daily basis and learn what he wants for you. It isn't just about religion and showing up on Sunday. It's about an everyday getting to know God. And man, there is nothing better. There is nothing better than that. And so you can live the life that God has called you to live today right now. There's some of you in this room. You've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've, you've said a couple things, but you've never talked to him. You've never said, God, I want you to come into my heart. Jesus, I want you to come inside of me and I want you to change me. And maybe this morning, that's what you need to do. There are some of you here today that, you know what? You've come and you've fallen away. And you have, you have traveled down different roads, trying to search, trying to find things. And you once knew Christ and you're like, ah, oh, give it a try again or whatever. And you know that it's time for you to come back. I want to challenge you this morning to make that decision. Man, it's New Year's. What an incredible time to say, God, I'm giving it all to you. My New Year's resolution is to live my life for you the rest of my life. And to give it all up and to say, it's no longer going to be me, but it's going to be you. It's going to be you. Where everything in your past could, could be wiped away. So what do we need to do? Number one is we need to do this. We need to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge that we can't make it on our own. That God is bigger. And that there's sin in my life that separates me from him. That selfishness those decisions we make, those addictions that we have that separate us from God. Those are the things we need to bring before him and say, okay, God, I can't do this. Like I'm hanging on a string here and I need you. And we need to acknowledge him and we need to let him know that and we need to be separated. And then once we acknowledge that, we need to ask him to come into us. We need to ask Jesus and he does. He fills us with what he calls the Holy Spirit. And he says, those are the things that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. And it's the thing that makes us and helps us make right decisions and leads us and guides us in how we should walk as God has called us to walk. As we read his word, as we pray, as we study, as we're in church, and we begin to live this life transformed. Okay? So we need to, number one, acknowledge our sin. And number two, ask him into our life. And then number three, when we do this, what will happen is this, is number one, God will forgive you for everything. God wipes the slate clean. He takes our heart of of, of stone, it says in the word, that's just broken and hard, and and he makes it into a heart of flesh. And he brings life. And he takes that heart and he puts it in us and it begins to beat and we begin to feel again. Then we begin to be motivated again. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was at an undercover concert, which is a, this, this Christian punk rock. They're actually playing here in like a few weeks. I couldn't believe it when I heard this. It was back in like 1985. And, uh, and I remember sitting, it was at Citrus College and a group of people from the church uh, my brother went to brought me and I'm like, I don't want anything to do with the Jesus stuff. I just want to listen to punk rock. And... And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this music 
and it's all glorifying God. And this guy got up in the end and he begins to preach the word of God. And he talks about John three sixteen for God so loved the world. He so loved you that he, that he gave his only begotten son. And I'm like, why well, nobody cares about me? And he says, yes, he cares about you. And the guy kept going and going. And I'm thinking, wow. And then he asked people to come forward. And he said, it's time. If God is moving in your heart. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going. And all of a sudden I felt this, whoa. And I'm like, what is that? I've never felt anything like that before. I'm like, is it a burrito? I I just, what is it? And you know what it was? It was the Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way. And God was moving inside and he lifted me up out of that seat. And you know what? That guy kept going and I'm so glad like Pastor Chuck does all the time. He does that extra thing at the end because I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. But I couldn't stop. And it lifted me out and I, and I went forward and I prayed and I asked God to come into my heart. And I've never been the same. I want you to think about it. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. I'd be in jail probably. And so God moves in powerful ways. This is why I'm saying this, because I want you to feel that and experience that, because I know God wants that for you. And so this morning, if you're someone who needs to make that decision, this is your time. This is really what this service is about. Yeah, we come to learn, we come, but we want you, we pray for you. We pray that decisions would be made. Why? Because we know the difference it's gonna make in your life and God is glorified in that. And so what we're gonna do is, in just a few minutes, we're gonna stand and sing. And during that time, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. But before we do that, we're gonna pray. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you need to make that decision this morning, if that's something you need to do, I want to lead you through that. And then after, when we get up to pray, we're going to ask you to come forward. So would you bow your heads with me? And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to move. Jesus, I thank you for this group of people. And Lord, I know that, um, that there's someone in this room that needs you this morning. That God, that they've been broken. Lord, they've been looking over other people's fences and they can't figure out why their life isn't working. And Father, they haven't looked at you. They haven't looked up. They haven't looked at the blessings right in their midst that you've been calling them this whole time. That your still small voice is right there ringing in their ear right now. And so I pray and I ask that you move in these people the way you want and call them to you, God. Okay, right now, keep your eyes closed. And those of the Crossroads family, if, if, if you're a believer and a follower, just pray for those in the room right now that, that, that don't know Jesus. Just pray for them. Now, if you're someone who wants to say that prayer, you want Jesus to come into your life, you want to live your life for him, I'm going to pray and I just want you to repeat after me. So right now we're going to take that moment. We're going to pray and ask Jesus into our hearts. So go ahead and let's do that. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I can't make it on my own. God, I've tried so hard. But Lord, the life I live isn't glorifying to you. And so God, forgive me for my sins. Take my heart of stone. Make it a heart of flesh. Help me to live my life for you. I accept the death of your son in place of me, God, for dying for my sins. Help me to follow you and live for you. In your name, 
Amen. Amen.